You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday evening sermon series. Take your Bible this evening and we're going to look all over the place, so... We're going to do some Old Testament and some New Testament where we've been looking over the last uh, several weeks with our Sunday night time is uh, the big picture, the big theme is uh, conforming to the image of Christ and using uh, Romans chapter 8 and talk about all things uh, for the good and that good is that we are changed into the image of Christ. And so basically everything uh, in life should be there to conform us to the image of Christ. When uh, something goes great, we say, this is great, and it's wonderful, and it's conforming me to the image of Christ. When something does not go great, and there's something that we don't want to go through, but yet we're going through anyway as a believer, we remind ourselves, don't want to be going through this, wish I did not have to be going through this, but the goal is that in all things that I am conformed into the image of Christ. So all of life is conforming us into Christ's image. A couple of weeks ago, uh, week six, we looked at the idea of complacency. Uh, Tonight and probably next week, I want us to look at the the idea of Christian zeal. Now, Christian zeal is a word that, uh, you know, you don't hear a lot about in in circles that we talk about today. Uh, But way back yonder... Uh, it was a, a real prominent aspect of the Christian life for the Puritans. Uh, the Puritans came out of the, the Church of England, uh, and uh, they were part of a group just like we would call the, the pilgrims. The, the Puritans were in the Church of England, and they wanted the Church of England to be reformed, but they wanted to stay within the Church of England and see these reforms take place. The, the pilgrims, uh, they were out of the Church of England, uh, but yet they, they, they wanted to reform the Church of England, but they were willing to split. And so when you think about the, the founding of our country, we think about pilgrims on the Mayflower and the Puritans, and they settled Massachusetts. And so back in the 15 and 16 and 1700s, uh, if you would have grown up in First Puritan Church in Massachusetts, you would have heard a lot about Christian zeal. And there was a, a big push on, on Christian zeal. And so I want us to think about that. Uh, tonight. How would you define the word zeal? What's a good definition for the word zeal? Sir? Aggressiveness. What else? Excitement and passion and enthusiasm. Uh, And and the idea is that we are are all these things, but we are all these things in and for and because of our relationship with Christ and living out the Christian life in such a way that we have zeal because we want to be conformed to the image of Christ. 
And, and our goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ as we live our life. And so we have this, this zeal, this excitement, this energy, this passion for something. Uh, take your Bible and look at Revelation. We're going to go Revelation, Isaiah, Psalm, John, and Titus. You got that? I will plug this. Revela go to Revelation 3.19. With modern technology, uh, I am actually available, able to every Sunday morning and every Sunday night. I just decided to do this a few weeks ago. I take my sermon notes and I'm able to put them online. Uh, I have tried years ago to be that pastor where we have the overhead, point one, click, point two, click, never works. I get about midway through point one and I go off this way and then the slide's saying this thing and everybody's all confused. Uh, trying to print it out and make handouts on Sunday morning never works and so technology has helped me greatly. Now I'm not saying go get a smartphone and I'm not saying that you got to be on the internet uh, but the internet and smartphones have made technology and ministry a lot easier. So every Sunday morning and every Sunday afternoon, I post all of my notes for my Sunday morning sermon and my Wednesday uh, Sunday night message on uh, pastorjohnbeck.com. It's just a, a website that I call it Sermon Notes and Stuff. And it is my sermon notes and stuff is all it is. I don't blog the political aspects of the day. Or I don't sit around and create new an invigorating thing. It's just my sermon notes and stuff that goes along while I'm preaching and teaching. So if you do have access to a phone and you want to follow along, you can put it on now and have your Bible open and all these passages as I say them, you'll be able to see what, I, what I'm talking about. Revelation chapter 3, as we think about this zeal and this Christian zeal that we must all have, by the way, it's not an option. We all should have this zeal for the Lord. And, and for living the Christian life. Some of us have different personalities. We all have different personalities. But we all should have this Christian zeal within us to live this Christian life. Revelation chapter 3. You remember when I looked at complacency uh, a few weeks ago. We went to the church of Laodicea. Um, so let's, let's go there. Um, Revelation 3, I'll begin in verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea to write. The words of the Amen and faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot or cold. We talked about being lukewarm, complacency. Um, with that, you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The idea, though, is, you know... Do, be something, <laughs> just either do it something right, they were nothing, they were just, they were Christians, they were complacent, and they were just nothing. Um, for you say I'm rich, I have prospered and, and need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. How about that? How about that word from the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm not a, a, a glass half empty guy, I'm really a glass half full guy. That is almost the church in America today. You're rich, you're, you're great, you got all these things, you think everything's okay. It's not. Jesus is looking in the church of Laodicea and say, you're rich, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. How's that? I counsel you to buy from me. Now, these items are all items in Scripture that point toward God, His holiness, His provision, 
Or you could say all these items listed here point toward God's provision of salvation and blessing upon their life. It says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness not be seen, and salve, salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So this is Laodicea, you're lukewarm, be like a, you're a Christian, you say, but there's nothing in your life that even resembles a, a dynamic Christ-following believer. Like I say with, with our church, I always say that because, you know, the country, in our country that we live in, 85, 90, whatever, so many percent of our country says that they're Christian. Now, you know as well as I do. If you just look at anything that we vote on, if you just look at it that way, if, if, if 85% of or 75% of our country is Christian, then the things that we have at our disposal would not be there if 75% of the people are deciding. You know, we wouldn't have a lot of things we wouldn't have. We wouldn't have any, you think about rated R movies. If 75% of our country was born-again believers, we would not have the stuff we have on TV because we wouldn't watch it. And what we're not watching, they're not going to be putting on there. That's, that works that way. Uh, so notice what it says. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be what? Zealous and repent. Now, behold, now this is one of the most, this is one of these verses in Scripture, and I don't like to make fun of Scripture. I'm not making fun of Scripture. I'm making fun of people that do things with Scripture. When you see this verse, you think, behold, he stands at the door and knock like it's evangelism. You know, we've seen the picture of Jesus standing on the door. Just let Jesus into your heart. What's the context of Revelation 3.20? Sin, church discipline, repent or perish. Behold, I stand at the door of knock. If you don't do anything about your lukewarmness, you're not going to have my presence or your blessing in your life. I stand at the door... But yet your lukewarmness and your hatred toward that which is right, your lack of zeal, if anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with them and be in he with me. And so there's this, you know, dramatic picture of this lukewarm church. And Jesus Christ himself is saying, you need to be zealous and repent. Energy, enthusiasm. We have a mission. I'll read Isaiah 59, 17. Isaiah 59 is a section of, of, of Isaiah where God is, it, through Isaiah, is promising the nation of Israel judgment but restoration. Because of your disobedience and your sin, I'm going to punish you. But there's this tension always in Scripture of what we call already and not yet. I am going to punish you, but I'm going to restore you as a nation of Israel now, but then I will completely bring it into fulfillment when Christ comes and the new millennium has come. So there's always this, in the nation of Israel, already and not yet. Sometimes we confuse that to think that we're going to revert back and the nation of Israel itself will be restored, and that, that's not true looking at it scripturally. When we read Scripture, when we read, here's the best way to understand what the Old Testament's saying about the nation of Israel and the old stuff. You're reading the Bible, but you've read the New Testament first. 
So you're reading Genesis knowing about the New Testament. You're reading all of Scripture with looking at the cross. All those promises to the nation of Israel that will be fulfilled later is not a literal restoration of the nation of Israel. It is a restoration of the church when the Lord returns in His millennium, His rule and His reign. So all of the Old Testament promises are looking through the cross, pointing toward Jesus. Uh, That's just a very healthy way to keep that in perspective. Um, So Isaiah 59, 17 is God judging the nation of Israel with the hope of a restoration. And it says that he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. It's the same word, and it means that, that even in, in judgment, there's this idea that, that God is clothing himself with this energy and this passion about doing something. Psalm 69, 9. Psalm 69, verse 9. David praying. Uh, he is attacked by his enemies for being a godly person. It's, it's kind of a prayer of deliverance. I'm, I'm doing what I need to do, and uh, I, I need help. I'm crying out for help. So we have Psalm 69, 9. For zeal for your house has consumed me. So David was consumed with the Lord's house being a house of worship and the temple really being a temple, a place of worship. So zeal for your house, this passion, this energy for the house of the Lord has consumed me and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. And so in his zeal uh, and excitement for the house of God, he is receiving all of this hostility. John 2, 17, in reference to Psalm 69, 9, When Jesus cleared out the temple as he entered Jerusalem in John chapter 2, the the disciples made reference. His his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. This word is, I'm excited, there's passion, there's this inner stirring about the Lord and his work. Key verse, kind of a thematic key verse for us here tonight, Titus 2.14. Titus 2.14. I'm going to turn there. Titus 2. And we'll begin reading in verse 11. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. We know that the grace of God has appeared. Jesus Christ, the cross of Calvary has appeared. For all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age as jesus said okay it is finished everything he did to come to seek and to save it has been finished everything is complete therefore we renounce godliness we we don't live in the world we're we're in it but we're not of it to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age what is this present age the age that we're living in it's the, it's, the, it's the already and the not yet. It's, it's the continuous present age. When, when, G, when the disciples talk about the blessed hope and the, and the coming of the Lord, they thought it was tomorrow. It's like we think it's tomorrow, this present age. And so it's not this present age, well, gosh, it's just so bad here. Let me tell you, as crazy as it is today, 
Christian living in America, it is a piece of cake compared to the early church. It is a godly place to live in compared to a third world country. And so I know we look at the world today and go, oh, where in the world is the world gone? Listen, this is, this is, a, this is nothing compared to the early church and what they faced. It is nothing compared to missionaries in third world countries and things that have taken place. So the, the command for them is still the command for us. I always remind myself, uh, Paul never pastored a First Baptist church with an overflowing budget and a church where everybody came to Sunday school every Sunday and church every Sunday and prayer meeting every Sunday and told him what a great job he did every Sunday preaching and, and Paul never preached at a church that everything was great. And I think, in an essence, that's what we think our goal is. That's not our goal. Our goal is not to have things that make us happy or successful. Our goal is to let everything we do conform us to the image of Christ. And some of the most godly people that we know, that we read about and we study... Uh, did not have a, a great, successful life that we would view. So in this present day, as you wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of our glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, live this way in this present age. As you wait, as you hope, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlocked godliness and to purify for himself a people... So he came to redeem us, look at verse 14, from all lawlessness to purify us for himself, conforming to the image of Christ. He's purifying us for himself, of people, of his own possession, for what? To be zealous, who are zealous for good works. You could almost say that being zealous for good works is being zealous of knowing that Jesus Christ possesses us, that we are his, the blood-bought, redeemed people of God, that we are, we are his. That is why we can be and should be zealous for our good works. Now, works in this context is just the natural overflow of the Spirit-filled life, good works. There's nothing you're going to do that is going to make God love you anymore or make you more saved. Good works is just naturally what we do when we love God and love the things of God and we understand who we are and why we're here. It just should flow naturally from us. Good works is just living out the Christian life. For his own possession, who are zealous for good works, declare these things. Paul tells Titus, Titus is an elder, he says, Titus, declare these things. Exhort, rebuke with all authority. And let no one disregard you. That's pretty important. If God, Paul gives that type of charge to Titus to be zealous for good works. I want to, in, in my studies, I, I, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and reference a book that was very helpful it is a, a book, it's just called A Puritan Theology. And it, the, the, whole, the whole book is looking at the Puritans of the day and how they lived and what was important to them. And they've just taken old sermons and writings and they've pulled from uh, the Puritan. Have you ever heard the word Puritan? Sometimes we use it in a negative sense. 
someone that lives a, a real holy life and, you know, oh, you're just a Puritan, living like a Puritan. They were very holy people. And, and sometimes in Christian circles, it's made reference to someone that's just holier than thou, so to speak. They don't do this, they don't do that. Puritans were very holy people. And, and they strived and were zealous for holiness and pleasing the Lord. And so some of these old quotes and some of these things had come out of that, of that book. They had a whole chapter, chapter 58 of Puritan theology, was zealous for the Christian life. And it was a collection of old sermons and things that were preached in England in the 15 and 1600s. John Reynolds in the 1700s in a, in a sermon, he, de, he described the word Christian zeal this way. An earnest desire and a concern for all things, an earnest desire and a concern for all things pertaining to the glory of God and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ among men. I love that last statement. We do all things for the glory of God. Christian zeal is doing all things for the glory of God, but also because we can say, do all for the glory of God. And it's like we do all for the glory of God. And we, we mean it, I think, but it, it's so ambiguous in a sense that it's out there. We're just doing all for the glory of God. But then he says, but also for the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ among men. We're doing everything we do. Christian zeal is doing everything we do for the glory of God and for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ among men. You know, that's, that's a great way to look when we leave here tonight. As we exit these doors, we are living in the kingdom of God among men. And, and we're doing it all for the glory of God and the kingdom of God uh, among men. Samuel Ward, in 1636, I don't have the sermon or the, the actual uh, lecture or whatever it came from. Samuel Ward, and, but these were both ministers over in England. Samuel Ward in 1636, <clears throat> zeal is like a varnish which does not add color but gives gloss and luster to whatever it is applied to. In plain English, zeal is nothing but heat. It is a spiritual heat wrought in the heart of men by the Holy Ghost improving the good affections of love, hope, and etc. for the best service and the furtherance of God's glory. I mean, that was in the 1600s. I've often said that if you read old sermons back in the day, they were deep. You know, our sermons today are a mile wide and an inch deep. I mean, you have to, you have to listen for deep truth in a lot of preaching today. You read some old sermons back in the day, and they were deep stuff. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, you ever heard of Jonathan? I mean, they, they, and it's sad. Uh, zeal is like a, a, a varnish. And it glosses over us. And so I, I, I think of those definitions. And here's what I want us to think about. Here's questions we're going to answer. If that is the case, and, and zeal, if, if the opposite of complacency is to be zealous for the Lord... And there's a clear instruction to the church of Laodicea, which is for us, to be zealous for the Lord, not lukewarm. And we take into account the verses that we have read to be, to be zealous for good works. Question one, 
why are we so unwilling to be zealous for the Lord? I mean, I'm not. Let's look at it two ways. One way is actually doing something, but another way I've had you could have some fun with. Think of it from an emotional standpoint. Okay, I mean, I've often said this. Sometimes you walk in a in a church and. Uh, see Julie up there, my partner in ministry, we, uh, funerals. There have been times that I've walked into a funeral service of no one. I, Julia, I just let you a little, little pastor world. Every now and then, Julia call and go, hey, what are you doing in the next 30 minutes? Uh, what do I need to be doing in the next 30 minutes? I've got a family up here that doesn't have a pastor, and they need to have a service in 30 minutes. That happened a couple weeks ago. Been there, done that, you know. I have seen more excitement for the things of God in some of those settings than I can in a, in a good church on Sunday morning. Uh, somebody moved some of my stuff in the hurricane, and I'm just going to sit here and pout for six months. Isn't that, I mean, where, where's the, why are we so afraid to be, now I'm looking at two ways, practically living, but also the sense of just being excited about something. I mean, why is it we as a people today are so zealous, I mean, think about college football, really? I mean, literally, Emily and I, Sharon doesn't get into it as much as Emily and I do. Did anybody watch the end of the Auburn-Alabama game? Did you see the girl stuck in the hedge that couldn't get out? And I'm sitting there thinking this, that they're trying to get on the, they're trying to get in the field, and there was no telling what she had been participating in the whole day. But they're trying to storm the field, and she's done got trapped in this hedge, and they got her on TV, and they're trying to pull her out, and she's rolling around trying to get out. And I'm sitting there thinking, somebody's parent, that, her parents are watching this. And they're like, at a football game, and they're willing to do all of these things for just a stupid college football game and get so wound up, professional sports and all this, that, and the other. And here we sit as a church. With no emotion and passion whatsoever. And we just go through life. The answer, the question is why? Why? What would we say to the Lord if he said, why, why were you not zealous for the things of the Lord? You know, think about it. I, I would also encourage us to think about it from an emotional standpoint. I think it's okay to be, you know, I'm not a real, you know, run around happy person about stuff like that. But, but I do think it is okay to be excited about the things of the Lord. I mean, that doesn't mean we have to, you know, the deacon of the week, Robert, doesn't need to do backflips as I'm, you know. He's not going to do interpretive dance as he does the prayer at the, you know, the end of the service or nothing. But, I mean, you look at a typical Christian in, in, in typical meetings sometimes. We did, there's no zeal. So the question is, what is keeping us from being zealous for the Lord in our worship, in our life, and in our witness? What is it? You tell me. What is it? What's keeping us from living a life of excitement and energy and passion for the mission that God has given us? We have a mission. I, I mentioned this morning, and sometimes I get sidetracked, and I don't know what I say until after I say it, and Every now and then, Matt will be going over the sermon and say, did you realize you said that? I said, no, I didn't. I blame it on the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Not in the notes. 
We serve a big God. I mean, he is huge. We haven't lost. We're not Alabama hoping that somebody loses so we can get in the playoffs. I mean, you know, we're not Florida, you know, this season. I mean, we're, we, we live such a defeat. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He is at the right hand of the Father. Everything we have is His. Every, God is in control of every. What is everything? Everything. Everything. And with that, everything that He has, when we go through the things that we don't want to go through, in that everything, that's why He says, when you go through everything and you go through anything, allow these things to make you more like Jesus. Because I'm still in control. And that's why when we, when we worship and we witness and we live this life, we serve a God that is so big and so awesome and so loving and so everything. So what is keeping us from living this life of zeal? There, ma'am? Somebody may frown on us. You know, there's, there's two things that I always think about. Uh, you know, like coaching. Let's say coaching. I, I, you know, I, coaching football. I, I still kind of help with football. You tell a kid to do something. Okay, what if I say, okay, let's do this. And he doesn't do it. So I have to ask myself, what's going on here? He either doesn't understand or he's just being rebellious. And it usually takes a good preacher. I, uh, we're watching football. I don't watch it much, but Sharon was watching it. <laughs> and uh, Kirby Smart would just blew a gasket I mean just ah! I mean just ah, 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 ah. and I told Sharon honey you don't know what is happening internally sometimes when I'm on that football field with your knuckle-headed children <laughs> and the whole time the Lord goes and this sounds kind of silly true story you pastor First Baptist Church here you pastor First Baptist Church here you're the pastor in town here and so I'm just okay I'm not, could you come here just for a minute why do you keep jumping offside? It's not difficult. When that leather thing moves, you move. So two things are going on here. Ignorance or rebellion. You think about it. Two things are going on. When, when you disobey, okay, I'm riding down Lake Avenue and I'm going 80 miles an hour. All right, two things are going on. I'm either stupid and don't know the speed limit or what's the other option? I just don't care. Only two choices. If we're not zealous for the Lord, what are the two options? Ignorance. All right, so let's stop there. We're not even going to get through question one. I, don't, I never met Pastor Childress. I never met Pastor Farmer. I know Vernon. I know me. I think you've heard, if you've been in First Baptist Church, at least I've been here, what it is to live the Christian life. So it cannot be ignorance. It cannot be you've never heard it. And that's just my ministry here. That's not counting Vernon's ministry. Think about the number of messages we have heard if you grew up going to church. Katie and I got this thing going on as my daughter-in-law. I want my grandchild to be to recognize my voice. So she takes her phone and plays one of my sermons and lays it on her belly. 
First thing she's going to hear when she, he, she, uh-oh, that's of the spirit. It's going to be a girl. <laughs> I'm going to walk in the, in, the, in the little baby room. I'm going to say, open your Bible, if you will. <laughs> so I, I know what I've preached. I know what the Lifeway Sunday School material says. So why are we not zealous for good works? Why are we satisfied to be complacent if typically in our Christian thinking? If it's not ignorance, then it's just disobedience. We just don't want to. Maybe it's a little bit we want to, but we don't know that we can. Maybe that we're busy. Maybe that there, there are other distractions, but there's really only two issues. Question two. Where in history did we slash the church decide that we don't have to be zealous as we live out the life in our communities? Somewhere in history that had to change because the Church of Acts did it. These guys I'm reading in the 1600s did it. So somewhere in history was there a business meeting that we said as a church collectively... We don't necessarily have to be zealous for the things of the Lord anymore. Here's where I'm going at. We're we're afraid, let let me divide it up in two parts. Today I'm afraid we've turned church into a come and see. It's an experience, come and see. In the early church it was go and tell you know today in our thinking what can we do to get them in here what can we do to to get people in church what we win them with you know one of the old sayings is what you win them with you got to keep them with so I've always tried to preach a good 45 minutes to an hour on Christmas and Easter I want them to think I don't normally preach that way At what point did the early church decide these things are not that important? The early church, the church was more uh, on mission. Today it's an experience. Today our zeal for the Lord is almost like it's more about what's in it for me than what's in it for them. I've often said, I heard a preacher say this years ago and I just took it. It's all about him or them. But too often our life becomes about us. Well, I can't because I, I can't because I, I can't because I. So where in history did the church decide that we don't have to have this zealousness for the Lord? Another thing to consider, what do we look like today compared to the early church could you imagine Paul pastoring a Baptist church in America I can see now that that I'm picking on deacons I was one other deacons not our deacons Paul we had a meeting this this isn't working out this just sitting a good fit this sitting a good fit yeah, we're, having, we're having some of our members leave and they're going to a, another church. And so this just didn't... Can you imagine Paul preaching on a, on a Sunday morning? And, 
Imagine them talking about coming to prayer. I mean, I just, it's mind-boggling to think about the early church and what they went through and how their entire life was consumed with the glory of God and living for the Lord. And yet today, our, the danger is, and it's not a terrible thing, but how many of us would be willing to say, I wish I could be more zealous for the Lord, but we have got so many things that are going on. Real quick. Two things to consider. This is, this is, I very rarely do this. I'm doing this tonight, though. This is from a, a message that Samuel Ward preached in the 1600s. And he preached, I've changed the wording a little bit. He preached on a false zeal and a true zeal. Look at 2 Kings chapter 10. 2 Kings chapter 10. Life of Jehu. There's a counterfeit zeal. Ooh, I, I was looking in First Kings. I couldn't find my spot. That was scary. Second Kings. Now I'm in Second Kings. 10, verse 16. Jehu is about to strike down the prophets here. Verse 16, he is, um, Jehonadab, he says, hey, come with me and see me, and see, come with me and see, his key thought, my zeal for the Lord. Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So he had him riding his chariot, and he came to Samaria. He struck down all who remained to Ahab and Samaria till he had wiped them out, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. And so we see here that we have a, a zeal for the Lord. And I don't want to be too critical here, but that's a counterfeit zeal. Jehu was willing to do what was asked of him in this area. And he had a zeal for the Lord. Now drop down to verse 31. God had told him that he had done certain things well and he would be blessed by his son's reigning in his place. But notice verse 31. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. And so there can be this counterfeit zeal that we can be excited and, and I, I mean I, I see it a lot of times in, in Christian life we can be excited about things that maybe we do well we can be excited about part of what God's asking to do we can be excited and zealous about certain things but yet God says I don't, I don't want you to be excited about certain things what does he want us to be excited about what was the what was the measuring rod of Jehu's faithfulness what what did he say? You are not careful to do what? To do what? What does it say? Follow to walk in the law. What it, what, when we think about law and precepts and commands in the Old Testament, how does that jump forward through the cross for us today? 
John, you did certain things well, and I'm going to bless you for that. But John, you know, and this is the thing, we know, you know, you didn't walk in the truth of my word. Yeah, you did certain things well. You had a zeal, but you really didn't have a zeal to know me and to know my word and to live my word out. And I look at that because I don't want to cast a light of, oh my goodness, what if I'm trying to live for the Lord and I'm not and I'm going to get to heaven one day and I'm standing in line with you and I've got a counterfeit zeal. Don't overthink it. If you really have a desire to know the thing to the Lord and walk in those things, you're going to know whether or not you're doing that. But there is a, a counterfeit zeal. You know, sometimes you do see it in church. You can see it lived out in church. You get somebody really excited about something. Boy, they do something 100 miles an hour. But yet there's a, there's a whole different side of their life that is like, okay, they do this real well. But, you know, that there's no fruits and joy of the Lord in their life. You know, if we do this well, we ought to be able to do everything well as we follow and live for the Lord. Look at Romans 10.2. Romans 10.2. There's a, a blind zeal. This is terrifying, but true. Brothers, my heart's desire, this is Romans 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them that they may be saved. Man, that's a great Desire it, and the people be saved. Saved, born again. Bought the blood of the Lamb. For I bear them witness that they have a, what? Zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. There's a blind zeal. This is 1600s. Preached in England in the 1600s. There's a blind zeal. A, a zeal to, to know the things of God, but yet not willing to know who God is. It's the, you know... I, I don't know what was going on in the 1600s, but one of the dangers that we have in a great, wonderful country called America is what we've done with evangelism, that, that there's, a, there's a, 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 a thing of God in church. I mean, you think about church membership, that, that alone ought to terrify us. I mean, church membership, I mean, thousands and thousands of people on a church roll, and we don't know, you know, in any church to tell you this, nobody, we don't know where they are. Couldn't find them if we had to. They may be in another church. They may be in a church that doesn't have church membership. They just be on a piece of faith. We don't have any idea. I've often said to myself, how can you be a born-again believer of Jesus Christ? Just something as simple as this. How can you be a born-again believer of Jesus Christ and be like the blind man? I don't know a lot about him, but I know what happened to me. I was lost but now I am found, I have repented of my sin, and I have placed my faith in Christ, and I have done something based on that and never darkened the door of a church for 20, 30, 40, and 50 years. There is no way in the world you will ever convince me that person is a believer. 
There's no way. I mean, could you imagine? So there's, there's, and, and, and there's, a, there, there's a zeal to, to, for God somehow. You know, this sounds kind of, this isn't a, from evangelism standpoint, I heard, a, heard somebody say this one time, and I felt like it was my responsibility to correct them. But I was in a setting one time, and, and it was a, in a school setting, not here, but in a school setting, and there was a, a, you know, a gathering, it was going to be a Christian gathering, and a gentleman gave his testimony, and he talked about, you know, I was a, you know, it's always the same, it seems, you know, I was a drug addict, I was doing black tar heroin, and, you know, I met Jesus, and now I don't do heroin anymore, and you need to stop doing heroin, and if you want to be saved and go to heaven, I want you to come forward. So everybody came forward. I went, we, we haven't shared the gospel. I mean, I could give an invitation. I can go to the elementary school and say, okay, I want to, you know, elementary school kids, everybody come out into the auditorium. How many children want to go to hell? Anybody who wants to go to heaven? Anybody want to go to heaven? Okay, we'll go to hell. Come forward, believe in Jesus, and you don't have to go to heaven. You don't have to go to hell, you can go to heaven. Okay. Is that the gospel? No, that's not the gospel. No, the gospel's nowhere in that. What is the gospel? What does it what does it mean for somebody to be saved? What has to happen? You tell me. If you don't know, we are fixing to give a long invitation in this church. Just as I am is going to play till Jesus comes back. What does it mean? What has to take place for somebody to be born again? Ma'am, we have to repent. What is the issue with repentance? Our sin. Our sin against a holy God that could never be paid for by our own good works. But God did love us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ and he died on the cross for our sin. And whosoever believes in that and calls on the name of the Lord, there's got to be an eternal Holy Spirit, eye-opening, heart-stirring moment in their life that they know they are a sinner damned to hell until they realize that Christ died on the cross. And if we don't share that, you never can proclaim the gospel. It scares me to death in how many Baptist churches, because you know good Baptists believe once you're always saved, you're saved forever, right? Think how dangerous this is. What are you coming forward to do today? I'm coming today to get saved. Well, let's, everybody's singing, so let's go right here. Welcome to the household of God. Once saved, always saved. We're Baptists. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to have baptism next week. Okay. Amen. Bye. All in favor of them join the church, let me know. Amen. So moved. You're going to be baptized next week. Gone. And we've told them, you're saved forever. What if they've never heard the gospel? What if in that, I always use this as an illustration. Somebody comes to me and says, I want to get married. Great. Marriage is great. And it's awesome. You just, you're living with your best friend and, you know, we don't have to smooch in the driveway and in the, in the car with hoping your parents aren't looking. You just smooch whenever you want to. It's just the greatest thing in the world. Marriage is great. Amen. It's wonderful. It's awesome. Is it? Ma'am? 
Sharon doesn't get it because she's married to me. But it is, <laughs> in some settings, it is work. So what, what kind of injustice if I tell that all I preach about is marriage is perfect and marriage is perfect and marriage is perfect and marriage is perfect. And then that, that person is sitting there. So Sharon is sitting here. Am I the only one that have a perfect marriage? Because it isn't perfect on 2435 North Isaiah Drive. And so when it comes to the gospel, it's, it's like this morning. I, a few weeks ago, we had a, a little young girl come forward. And I was just like, I couldn't figure out whether she what was up or down or up this or that and the other. And if she really knew what she was doing and this, that, and the other. And I'm trying to figure out how in the world can I under, sit down with this little girl. So that's what I did this morning. Listen, if you want to talk to me, you come after the song. There's no way I have time in, in one, you know, Joy, keep, keep singing. I've never seen this person before in my life, and I want to make sure that this little 10-year-old girl understands the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ before I confirm it. Because once that pastor confirms it and we vote it, they are in heaven. So they think. That terrifies me that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says there is a zeal for God that is not based on knowledge that is not salvific. So therefore, to fix that, we just preach the gospel and we love people and make sure we share the, the true knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And It's like the blind, the blind man today. He knew who Jesus, his thing was not who Jesus was, it's what Jesus had done for him. If we can't get excited about what Jesus has done for us, we probably have a zeal for God, but it's a false zeal and a blind zeal because it's not on the knowledge of who God is and what Jesus came to do. We'll close with this. We don't have time to get to true zeal. I'll read it real quick, all right? James 3, 14, we're not going to turn there. It talks about bitterness and jealousy and things going on in the life of the church and and. Pastor Ward says this is a, a turbulent zeal. If we have a, a zeal for the Lord and our life is constant chaos, have you ever met that person? Just constant chaos. There's always chaos. It's always, I tell this people, they have the spiritual gift of always something. We pray for y'all on staff meetings. The always something people. It's like a turbulent zeal. It's a wrong zeal. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. James is saying, hey, good works. Is there, there's no bitter and envy and jealousness amongst you. So this was in the 1600s. Pastor Ward must have had some turbulent zeal in the flock. And then we'll close with six true zeals. I'm going to read them all. A God-centered zeal. Well, God is big and glorious, and you love him. Titus 2.14, works. Having zeal for good works that glorifies God. A biblical zeal. You know, the thing about it, in the 1600s, I'm going to pick on all of us. In the 1600s, they were more biblically literate than we are today. Isn't that sad? I mean, I read some of those sermons and think, this guy, these dudes were sharp. 
I mean, some of the preaching back in the day was deep and rich and theological. You know, the, the, the church didn't have smartphones and iPads and Kindles and apps and computers. But yet they were people of the word, it seemed. And so it's a, it's a God-centered zeal where everything in our life is focused on the glory of God and loving the Lord. It's a, secondly, it's a, it's a biblical zeal. We just read in Romans 10 too. It's a zeal, but it's according to knowledge. You know, I love the, uh, the, the re, we, we have to love God. Here's a simple way to say it. I love God and I love everything that is about God. I love his word. I love his people. I love singing the songs of God. I love reading the word. We just, we love the word. You want to, you want to tell you where your zeal is? Here, here's a, we could end to this. I could have just said this. I'm not going to end here. So goes your zeal for the word and prayer. So goes a true biblical zeal for God. And we, we have God in his word in front of us. And if we, cannot, if we cannot get excited and zealous over learning the things of God and loving his word. I like this because it really convicted me. A self-reforming zeal. What does that mean? I'm always looking within my own heart. A lot of times people say, good word today, preacher. Yeah, it wore me out all week. You know, to preach something that I'm not living out, I, I would be afraid God would strike me dead with leprosy or something as I was preaching. It's a zeal that I'm constantly looking in. Not in a defeated way, but an excited way. Lord, as I wake up today, here's John's little world. Lord, as I wake up today, I want to be less like me and more like you. What do I need to work on? I've often told husbands this. If you were to go into the house, husbands, go home tonight and do this. Children, go home and do this to your parents. What can I do today? Children, all children do this. What can I do this week to make my, your life more pleasing as I live in your midst? Your parents would immediately say, okay. Bop, 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 bop. Husbands, honey, what can I do to, make, to be a better husband for you? Immediately. Wife, immediately. God, what, what can I do? Show me, God, the things in my life that are more like me and less like you. And the Spirit of God that abides within us would show us that immediately. It's a self-reforming zeal. That's one of the dangers of being a pastor. We, oh, I've preached through Romans, I've preached through Acts, I've preached through this, I've done this enough years, I'm just going through the mode. No, it's a self-reforming zeal. We need to first cast stone he without sin cast the first stone it is us taking the the beam from our own eye it is paul reminding the church of Corinth, examine yourselves it's a zeal that we're constantly looking in it is an active zeal if we don't know what to do just do something I always tell people you know you know you know and there's not a person in this room maybe maybe younger folks maybe not say this but i don't think there would be a person in this room that is not in some way or form or fashion dealt with a little bit of depression. Did you ever get down? Huh? I'll give a great example. I was just having a bad run of things. It was just a, a bad pastoral month. And I'll never forget this. We were living in Georgia and I had the day off and Sharon was working and the kids were at school. And I'm like, oh, I'm just so, just, I'm just going to stay home and do nothing all day. Probably after 18 reruns of Rockford Files 
Sharon came home, had your day, go, I feel worse than when you left. Why? Because I've laid on the couch all day. We didn't have, didn't have Netflix back then. And so it just said, hello. You know how many times as a pastor I've told people, you got to sweat. You got to sweat physically and you got to sweat spiritually. You got to go do something. If you want to have zeal for the Lord, just go do something for the Lord. Get excited and, and, and do something for the Lord. An active zeal, a consistent zeal. You know, the Bible talks about knowing. What does the Bible tell us? How do we know? How do we know who will be saved at the end? By what? I know you're hesitating to answer because it's like a trick question. What does the Bible tell us? We'll know somebody's saved by what? By the way they live their life. Is that what y'all said? By their works, by the fruits of their life. Those that persevere to the end will be saved. How do we know we're saved? We persevere to the end. Paul says, I don't have, a, uh, I don't have lineless, bifocal heart glasses. I can't look into people's heart and see conversion or not. We know they were his because of the way they live their life. You know, it's not that we live our life, well, i, I got to persevere so I can be saved. No, I will persevere if I am, because I am saved. There's this sense of a consistent zeal. You know, it's, I mean, I have a good friend. I, I can't say his name because I almost got in trouble. Somebody told me they listened to my sermon in Georgia, so it, that's a, have to be careful what you say. I had a good friend I, I, I went to school with every revival. There he goes. There he goes. I'm never going to drink again. Yes, you will. You'll drink tomorrow night. And he did. Next Sunday morning, oh, just, you know, just one. I, I, I would have loved the pastor to say, get back in there. I'm not, go. Get. <laughs> Curtis said, I ain't talking to him today now. I'm tired of it. Just get on up there. Why? It was just no con this consistent in our zeal. We have to start to finish, but we at least got to start. And I thought this was good, the last one. 1600s. A sweet, gentle zeal. Some people are just zealous, but they're just angry. Zealots was a group of religious group in, in the Palestinian times, in Jesus' time, the zealots. They were just fanatical. Ah! You know, they, 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 were, they were said to have little daggers in their cloaks, and they would go up against the opposition and whack, stab them and keep going. They were zealots. There's a lot of Christians that way. Just, ah! I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. I'm right, you're wrong, I'm right, you're wrong. La, 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 la. Nobody wants to be around them. They gather around people that believe just like them, and they talk about everybody else that's not like them. Ah, we're a church. Ah. I've been to some of those. Angry in the pulpit. Ah. That's my angry noise. We can be zealous, but sweet and gentle. Jonathan Edwards wrote this. We must learn what it means to be a bold warrior for God from the captain of all God's armies, Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? 
We must learn what it means to be a bold warrior for God from the captain of all God's armies, Jesus Christ. Christ boldly spoke against sin, hypocrisy, and false teaching. He stood on the word. He was uncompromising with the word. He would not deviate from the word. He spoke against things. Yet when Christ was surrounded by enemies, like roaring lions, he showed showed the strength not in the exercise of any firing passion, not in fierce and violent speeches. He showed his strength not in the exercise of fiery passions, not in fierce and violent speeches. Think about when he was arrested. But in patience, meekness, love, and forgiveness. And then I'll close with this. Zeal is a burning flame. We need to be a burning flame with a divine love. We don't need to be complacent, but we need to be excited and and energetic and passionate about the glory of God and living in in, in the monks, the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ and the the men of the kingdom. And love the Lord and, and love the word and love the things that are so important and be excited about the mission that we have, which is Christ likeness, making disciples and living a life that glorifies him. God-centered, biblical, self-reforming, active, consistent, sweet, and gentle. Let's stand as we pray. Lord God, we thank you for our time together tonight. I pray that we would have this type of zeal, a passion and an energy for the things of God, that we would not be lukewarm, but that we would look deep within our heart that we would be zealous for good works. We thank you for the gospel and the power of it to save us, but to also change us and to empower us. So Lord, help us to be zealous for good works, for your glory and for your honor. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.